We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for all of you fine folks on the other end of the speaker. I appreciate you tuning in. Welcome. Happy holidays. It's a pleasure to have you here. Hope you're having a great holiday season. In Fresno, it's just gold. That's it. No no snow, no anything interesting. Doesn't We don't get any of that white Christmas stuff here. Hopefully you're getting something interesting. It looks like we do have a little bit of rain on the forecast. That's nice. That's nice. I do love rain. But I do need to start by issuing a uh, an apology that we didn't get a preview episode to you this week. I had, don't worry, I had all my notes were taken. I had them all written down. I was going to tell you about how Arizona offered a pretty unique challenge to the 49ers, and there were ways that they could take advantage of of a 49ers team that might have been looking past them a little bit. And I thought that the Cardinals have actually played a pretty decent brand of football uh, since Kyler Murray has come back into the fold. Not great, but decent. And like we've always said, we know how weird divisional games get. So I was going to tell you all these cool things, talk about all these stats and stuff like that. Well, um, my wife. Um, what was that Thursday evening realized <laughs> much later than it was left that she had a voicemail from the doctor's office or from the hospital asking us to come back to the hospital, um, to do another, what they call a stress test for the baby. It just really all it is is to make sure the baby is moving around a lot in the womb. Well, that message was left that morning. We didn't get it until that evening. And we called the hospital and said, hey, should we just come in in the morning? And they were like, no, come in now. <laughs> so it was like 8 o'clock, 8.30, and we just headed to the hospital. We did the stress test. It was about an hour. You know, we left there about 10 o'clock. Baby was fine, moving all over the place, kicking like crazy, doing backflips or whatever he's doing in there. I guess he's not doing backflips because if if I haven't mentioned this yet, the baby never like 90-something percent of babies always just kind of end up 
with their head down so that they can be born. Well, my son in his infinite wisdom has decided to just sit there. He's still right side up, just sitting there. So, you know, with that being the case, the doctor decided they're not going to try and push him around or move him or anything like that. They're just going to do a C-section, you know, and that is scheduled. You, you guys will be listening to this podcast likely uh, on Monday. Uh, you might be listening to it Tuesday. Depending on when you're listening to it Tuesday, the baby may already be born because we are scheduled to go in for that C-section Monday at 10 a.m. and the sur- Excuse me, Tuesday at 10 a.m. And the surgery is supposed to be at noon. So I am about, right now, about 48 hours away from uh, from having uh, our first our first baby and, and our first son. So things are getting a little crazy at the Louder House. Uh, Katie's contractions have started to pick, pick up. She's in there laying in bed. You know, not a lot of pain, just you can tell that something's going on in there. I'm sure the ladies can relate. And, you know, we're trying to just kind of make sure that doesn't get too, you're allowed to have them. They just can't be too close together. They start to get real close together, then that's essentially going into labor. So we're just hoping that everything kind of holds off so that she can go in on Tuesday and just have the surgery like normal. It's not an emergency. It's not just with whoever's on call type of thing. Um, it's all scheduled out and planned. So that's where we are now. So again, depending on when you listen to this podcast, I may be, uh, it may be the day before I have a child. It may be while I'm having a child. It may be right after I'm having a child. Um, I don't post about this stuff very often on social media, but that'll probably be something that I, I let everybody know happened when it happens. So again, I apologize for no, uh, no preview episode, but obviously things were just a little bit busy. Getting to the game, the 49ers, you know, despite my worries for the 49ers, I just thought that the Cardinals and the way they were playing football, the 49ers being down a couple of defensive linemen, you know, the way they're going to have to, con- they were going to have to contain Kyler Murray and the fact that the Cardinals had nothing to lose. And you can tell that this Cardinals team, if you watch them play their games, they're they're not altogether bad. They have some glaring holes that they need to fix. And it looks like they're on the way to doing that. But I just saw them as more of a threat to the 49ers than I thought a lot of people were illustrating. Well, it turns out while the game wasn't altogether clean for the 49ers, there's plenty of that to get into. They did beat the Cardinals 45 to 29. And anytime you drop 45 points on somebody, you're usually winning, especially with this 49ers defense. But, but, and, and even of those, even the 29 is a little misleading in the fact that the Cardinals were doing a a ton of garbage time stuff, an entire drive and a touchdown all against what were the majority of 49ers backups. So not exactly a score that was emblematic of, of the end result, but you know, there were still plenty of things that this 49ers defense did that deserves a closer look, you know, that deserves a closer look. And we're going to take a closer look at that. But like we always start out, we're going to start out with the injuries. So leading up to the game, you had Brandon Allen as the third quarterback, starting off with the inactives. Um, you, the 49ers were without defensive lineman Eric Armstead and Javon Hargrave. That's obviously your biggest most glaring absence in this game. And we'll get into that a little bit later. They didn't have Ross Drolley, who was out with an angle injury, Oren Burks, Elijah Mitchell, or Spencer Burford, who is their starting right guard. And John Feliciano took over for that spot and seemed to do well. That's, you know, that's the offensive lineman and how they perform is something 
much better understood on a rewatch. So we might get into that, but um, so that's how the 49ers looked coming into the game injuries. As far as coming out of the game, they weren't, they weren't the worst. They weren't, they weren't horrible. It got weird a little bit for a little while. We'll talk about that, but um, Diamador Lenore, one of their starting cornerbacks left with a rib injury. Kyle Shanahan didn't seem too concerned. Said at one point he got stepped on. Uh, he was wa- he he had his pants off. He was walking around on the sideline. Seemed okay, but it's definitely something that the 49ers are going to have to learn more about um, over the week. Purdy for one, Brock Purdy at one point had everybody walking on pins and needles as. Uh, he laid on the turf, hurt, and, and it looked like at best at the time he had suffered a concussion because what he did is kind of just st- stared a defender in, in his face, stared a defender in the face as he charged towards him and, and just lofted it up and over him to Juszczyk. Ended up being a pretty sweet play. But that defender kind of tried to jump and block that pass and then came down and hit Purdy right in the face, face-to-face. It got flagged for 15 yards. Um, but Purdy ended up having a stinger, which is essentially when the, the, the nerves in like your neck slash back area get like stretched and it can, you know, there could be a lot of numbness and weird, weird feelings and they can last for days and, or they can last for moments. And, and Purdy's apparently only lasted moments. He said by the time he made it into the blue medical tent, he'd already started to feel better. And he came in a couple of plays later. Um, red shirt rookie. Kalia Davis uh, left the game with an ankle injury and unofficially Christian McCaffrey kind of looked a little uncomfortable throughout the game was playing around with his knee on the sideline, getting it taken care of by medical staff. They were taping it up. So nothing official, nothing on the injury report. When asked about it, McCaffrey was like, yeah, it's nothing. It's just football stuff. Um, But it did look like it was bugging him a little bit. So we'll see, but nothing worth worrying about. Just figured I'd mention it. All right, let's get into the offense. Um, <laughs> like I said, man, I mean, this was uh, when one of the things I was going to mention in my preview episode was if there was one way the 49ers were going to handle the Cardinals, it was just going to be the fact that the Cardinals offense was never be going to be able to keep pace with the 49ers offense. And we knew the 49ers would get some stops. But we, I didn't know if the Cardinals would ever stop the 49ers offense. Their offense or their defense is not good. And they did get some stops. The 49ers had two three and outs. But when they weren't getting those stops, the 49ers were scoring points. And they, they were coming at them. Now, after Purdy came back in, I mean, this the emblematic of, of Purdy's game as a whole. When he came back in from that stinger, he immediately followed that up with a quick low screen to Debo. And then his next throw was this perfectly laid out throw over the top of a couple of defenders, right? Dropped it down into Kittle, who one-handed it, kind of tipped it to himself. And then on the next one, he throws a, a rope to Christian McCaffrey for a touchdown. And if you look at that play, McCaffrey's wide open, but that's like Purdy's third, I believe third read, maybe fourth read. Watch that play again. Just dices him up. I mean, and Purdy made so many throws in this game that you're just like, Man, like this dude is for real. And, and and we kind of already know that, especially 49ers fans, 49ers media. We've been watching it. You know it's for real. But and and again, I'm not gonna act like Purdy's performance was more than it was. It was impressive, but the Cardinals pass defense is abysmal. And in, in comparison's sake, you know, the man he is toe-to-toe with in the MVP race, Dak Prescott, had a horrible game as the Cowboys got their ass handed to him by the Bills, you know, a real football team. 
So Purdy ended up going 16 of 25, 64%, which is one of his percentage-wise, one of the worst games he's had for a while. I think he had multiple games with 70% or higher. So he went 16 of 25 for 242 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions for a 135.3 passer rating. Uh, And the numbers do paint the story. He was that good. And that's not to say that every touchdown that he threw was needed uh, needed to be a needle threaded into a super tight football size space. It's not what anybody's saying. But people do act like that. People act like every touchdown a quarterback throws, especially one that's in MVP, in the MVP conversation needs to be some perfect throw thrown into this super tight window. And and it's just not the case. Like you just, I mean, you should be penalizing quarterbacks for missing wide open throws and for missing wide open receivers, not seeing them. Then you should more so than you should quarterbacks for hitting the wide open receivers and making sure you don't miss them because we see that often, even in the NFL as quarterbacks missing wide open receivers. Um, but I mean, there were, again, there were other highlights that really show Purdy's strengths. You know, he had a, uh, probably his best throw of the night. Uh, there's one more throw that I could probably contend with, but he had a back shoulder touchdown to Debo Samuel, who basically ran a go route on the sidelines. And you could tell Purdy knew exactly where to put it. He threw it just inside the pylon. Debo turned around, kind of let his weight leave his knees. So he dropped down, caught it right in his arms and his chest and just fell into the end zone right at the corner of the pylon. It was a perfectly thrown ball. If if Purdy somehow became, you know, like if, if he somehow stepped into the movie The Sandlot and all of a sudden he couldn't throw and he had to walk over and hand it to him, what is he doing? He couldn't have handed it to him any better. I think he says, what the hell is he doing? What the hell is he doing? <laughs> when uh, when uh, Purdy can't, can't throw the ball. So he, I'm such a classic movie. I'm laughing as I say this because I'm just thinking – of the catcher's face. What the hell is he doing? It's so funny. Anyways, I'm sorry. Purdy could not have handed it to Debo any better than he threw it from 30 yards out, 40 yards out. It was very, very impressive. He had a number, th- uh, another throw on third down to Brandon Ayuk outside the numbers. Looks like it, it's one of those throws that NFL quarterbacks consistently throw too far inside and they get batted down. They get picked off. It gets returned for six. Um, not Purdy. He makes that throw pretty consistently, surprisingly consistent. And it's not like the ball is flying at breakneck speed, but he knows exactly when to throw it. It dropped right into the arms of Brandon Ayuk. You're talking about throwing the ball. Probably there. I mean, if you think of throwing from the far hash, 10, about eight, nine, 10 yards upfield, but against the sideline, you're probably throwing the ball 30 yards of an NFL sideline is an NFL field is what? Like 53 yards wide, something like that. And so you're probably throwing the ball 30 total yards to gain like 10. It's math. It's the long part of the triangle. But, you know, and imagine throwing a football 30-something yards, 30 yards, high 20s, and hitting a target that's about the size of a paper plate. Like Purdy does that shit consistently, which is when all these stupid-ass comments about game managers and, you know, what is he doing? Look at the weapons he's working with. And it's like, yeah, but... Look at the way, look at the throws he's making. He's hitting the weapons consistently, perfectly in stride, exactly where the ball needs to be. You know, you have to enable a lot of yards after the catch have to be enabled by the throw. They can't. And we saw that with Jimmy Garoppolo pretty consistently where he would throw a throw that had a lot more meat left on the bone, but the way he throws it forces the receiver to kind of just catch it, stop, maybe make, make attack. You know what I mean? Purdy doesn't do that as often. 
and he consistently makes throws that are that are. I mean, he put a throw deep to Brandon Ayuk that was right in his chest, and it was probably maybe about a foot or two underthrown, which is you know now we know we're really starting to up the standards on Brock Purdy if we're complaining about that because the DB was able to just get his hand in and kind of disrupt the throw as it hit Ayuk's chest, and then it kind of bounced up. Uh, you probably still should have caught it. You know, you got to make those big boy catches if you're going to be considered a big boy receiver, which I do consider him, but you've got to make those plays. And there was one more later that he didn't make, but you know, and then there was another one where it was on third down. It was like third and 12, I think. And Purdy had a free defensive end or defensive line rusher right in his face. Big dude. And Purdy read it, read the hot route, knew where a defender was vacating. And I think, the like the linebacker ran like a stunt. The defensive end that ended up being unblocked was running like an outside stunt with a linebacker going inside of him. I believe this, or it could have been a safety, but that area that was vacated pretty immediately saw it allows that defender to run right into his face. And he just hits Kittle on a perfect pass with, I mean, just a big ass dude right in front of him and sets Kittle up for what was probably like a 35, 40 yard gain. One of those plays that when you see from like Purdy's point of view, when the camera that's like behind Purdy, you're just like, God damn, like that is quarterback play at its best. Purdy made a handful of throws that were just, he had another deep one to Ayuk that looked like he was thrown exactly where it needed to be. Uh, Ayuk just couldn't find the ball. Wasn't, didn't look like he was quite running. Like he knew where the ball was. That was the second time a, a receiver couldn't find the ball too. I wonder if things just looked weird looking up at the roof. Um, and then kind of stumbles right as the ball gets there. It just looked like a rough, rough play. I, you kind of didn't have his typical evening. He was only targeted five times, which is a decent amount. That's how many times McCaffrey was targeted. Kittle was targeted four, Debo seven, uh, but he only caught three of them for 37 yards and he left a y- lot of yards on the plate. Now, again, that first throw deep might've been a tad underthrown by Purdy, but that's still a play you kind of want to see a receiver make. That's just what they do. And then on that second one, the throw looked fine. It landed just two or three yards ahead of Ayuk, but Ayuk looked like he was kind of slowing up because he didn't know where the ball was, and then he started stumbling. It was a weird look. Weird look. So uh, just an incredible game from Purdy, who now is the odds-on favorite for the MVP, I think by quite a bit, because Purdy's odds took a step forward, whereas Prescott's took a step back after a rough game. So Uh, still three challenging games ahead of him. You know, you've got... The Ravens on Monday night uh, coming up next week. And then you've got an away game against the Commanders who seem to always play like this slightly rough brand of football in a good way. I mean, they, they just seem scrappy. Uh, and then you've got the Rams who are playing great football um, to close out the season. I mean, that is going to be an absolutely massive, a massive, massive matchup. Christian McCaffrey. Oh, you know what? I want to talk about something. Brock Purdy threw what was a wide open touchdown pass to Debo Samuel. And this is this is a, a sort of an inappropriate assumption to make by me. Not inappropriate in a weird way, but inappropriate in like you're probably going to laugh at at the you're going to laugh at the like the the assumption I'm making. Now, let me start with saying I watch a lot of JTO Sullivan on YouTube. Quarterback school. Welcome to the QB school. Clap sound right in the mic real loud. Um J.T. O'Sullivan has noticed how often Debo Samuel takes plays off. And he doesn't like harp on it too much, but 
it usually gets mentioned at least once every video. How often Debo Samuel is, you know, going half speed, jogging around where he knows he's not going to get the ball. I mean, even in that deep touchdown that he caught from Purdy last week, um, he was jogging. And then, because he, he even said as much, he was jogging because he assumed he wasn't going to get the ball. He knew he was a later read in the play. And then Purdy threw it to him, so he had to speed up, catch it, and score. Now, that's that's not the biggest of deals. But there has been several, and I, I, a handful, maybe even more, maybe getting up close to 10, maybe even more if you wanted to really dig into it. Examples of when Debo kind of just doesn't go full speed. And he doesn't take himself seriously when he's not the main focus of the play. And I, I'm not I'm not dragging Debo right now. I'm just saying it's been documented. I'm not making this shit up. You can even see it on video. You know, there's plays where Debo's supposed to kind of like take out take take away the eyes of a defense, and he just doesn't go full speed. So, anyways, what I want to know is on that touchdown where Brock Purdy. Uh, They fake it to Debo as he's motioning across the field. Brock Purdy kind of looks to the right, looks like he's looking for a target to the right, and then just throws it back to Debo Samuel to the left. Wide open, nobody within 10 yards of him. And what I want to know is, here's my goofy-ass question. Did Kyle Shanahan take advantage of Debo's laziness on that play? Because after he motions, Debo doesn't just sprint into his route. He kind of just keeps jogging to that side of the field and he looks like he's doing typical Debo things like uh, this isn't my play Uh, I'm not going to go all out and try and pull a couple defenders my way I'm just going to jog this out because he doesn't go full speed he just keeps jogging and the now undoubtedly busted coverage to an extent even if Debo's not going full speed somebody should always account for him well, the Arizona Cardinals just ignore him, and they go towards the right where kind of Brock Purdy and the rest of the offense is flowing. The entire play flows to the right. Debo goes to the left. Debo is just jogging kind of out into the flat and then sl- slightly upfield, and Brock turns and throws it to him, and everybody's like, how the hell did that guy get there? And I, wanted, I, I was wondering if Kyle Shanahan recognized Debo's tendencies even if they're horrible ones, I guarantee you it makes Kyle Shanahan red in the face that he can't get Debo Samuel to go 100% on plays that aren't meant for him. But it kind of is just a reality of things. And I wonder if Kyle Shanahan recognized that and knows that the Cardinals have recognized that. Any good defensive coordinator would recognize that, that if Debo's not going running hard, the ball's not coming to him. It's crazy, but I wonder if Kyle Shanahan was like, all right, Debo, I want you to act lazy on this play. And matter of fact, don't act lazy. Just be yourself. That would piss him off. That's the shit you say as a coach to a player that gets them to go full speed without even like really telling them to go full speed. Uh, and, and and just to see if it works. And and it worked. And And what's funny is Debo said after the game, he's like, when we ran that play through the week, I didn't think I would get that open, but I, I was open. And and I'm just the whole time I'm thinking there, I was like, did Kyle just troll the Cardinals into thinking Debo was just being his lazy self? And Debo's not that lazy. Obviously, we know that dude goes hard. He's earning every every dollar of his contract this year. But y'all know what I'm saying. Like, how funny it'd be if the Kyle Shanahan recognized that Debo's sort of lazy when plays aren't going for him and just used it as a weapon. Like that would be some 3D upside down underwater chess in space, you know, and, and there's I don't think there's any way I'm going to prove it there, unless something comes out about it. 
But I mean, that would be some funny shit right there. That would be some funny stuff. McCaffrey, the engine, the core, the spine of the 49ers offense, another three touchdown day for him. He's making his own case for the MVP at the very least. Christian McCaffrey is in a race with Tyreek Hill for the offensive player of the year. All right. So he's not playing for nothing. If Brock Purdy is going to win MVP, maybe Christian McCaffrey can win offensive player of the year. He had five catches on five targets for 72 yards, two touchdowns, one of it, which he leaked behind the Cardinals defense and was just wide open and Purdy hit him. Uh, I don't think McCaffrey kind of, really knew where Purdy was going to put the ball because then he just ended up having to backpedal like a crazy man, then jump up, catch it, fall backwards. And he was so far behind the Cardinals defense that he just had got up and ran into the end zone. He had to do it in a hurry, but he just got up and ran into the end zone, which was funny, which was funny. Uh, he also had another, another touchdown catch on like a Texas routes, kind of like a slant over the middle uh, after Brock Purdy left for a stinger and then came back in. And he also had a rushing touchdown. So, McCaffrey had 18 carries for 115 yards, 6.4 yards a pop, added a touchdown. The 49ers offense uh, averaged five and a half yards a carry. Jordan Mason came in, got five carries for 20 yards, four yards a carry. Had one 17-yarder that just looked like typical Jordan Mason. A typical Jordan Mason carry, just ran three people over, said, put me in the game earlier. Overall, pretty dominant, dominant day for the offense. As far as the offense goes, it couldn't have been much better. Uh, they did have two three and outs, but every other drive was touchdown, 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 field goal. So they scored points on every drive but two. And the way the offense moved the ball, they just looked like they didn't have a care in the world. You know, like it wasn't that they were lazy. I'm not saying that. It's just that they looked like they could do whatever they wanted to do. Whatever they wanted to do. Let's go to the game book. I, I'm, I'm going to try and make a new habit of going all the way to the down. 10 longest plays for the 49ers. Brock Purdy deep to Christian McCaffrey, 41 yards. Brock Purdy deep to George Kittle for 35 yards. Christian McCaffrey, 26. Brock Purdy, Kyle Juszczyk, 9. Wait, we're already down to 9? Dang, 49ers didn't have any. Why Why is that a deep Brock Purdy short right? Weird. 10 longest plays, and they have a nine-yard gain. Is that because you're adding the 15 to it? So now we're at 24? Yeah, okay, I get it. They actually add the 15 yards to it, and they count that as one of the 49ers' longest plays. I see it now, but whatever. Juwan Jennings for 22. Brandon Ayuk for 22. Brock Purdy for 19. Anyways, anyways, not as impressive as their last game, but overall, from an output standpoint, it was about as good as you can ask an offense to get scoring 45 points. Now, actually, before we get into the defense, before we get into the defense, let's take a look at my prize picks losses. I know I didn't win. Um, so we got we to take a look. We got we to gotta chastise your boy again. Like, prize picks has just been defeating me lately. Only got one of four, but I was, I was a little aggressive on this one. I pl- had some demon plays. Prize picks has some demons and some, some goblins where if you're going demons, it's a, it's a stat that's less likely to score. But the payout is way bigger. So I, I had only done a $5 power play. But if I would have hit all of them, it would have been like 75 bucks. So Brandon Ayuk did not score a touchdown. I needed him to score a touchdown. He did not. Matt Prater did have more than five kicking points. He had seven. Kyler Murray, I needed him to run in a touchdown. He did not. And I needed Brock Purdy to throw for more than 20 times. And he did not. He only threw for 16. So 
Um, one of four for your boy on prize fix. Not the greatest, but again, still having a good time. That that much is obvious. I'm enjoyed posting about them. I've enjoyed making my picks. If you don't know what prize fix is, it's daily fantasy sports. Simply enough, you pick between two to six players. You pick their stat projections, more or less, and then you do your thing. Watch the winnings, winnings roll in. If you're not me, that's okay, though. Uh, what I like best, and I've said this over and over, is it's just so simple. It's it's so simple. You get on there, you find your team, you pick your entries, you find whatever, you know, you got to have more than one team on there. See, so what I usually do is just pick the opposing team. And, uh, and then you make your entries two to six. You can do a flex play where not everybody has to win. You can do a power play where you're, you're betting it all on everybody hitting those, those numbers more or less. Um, and, and you go from there. But if you're, if you're going to play, if you're going to play and you need to play. This is fun. Even just maybe if, if only to dabble a little bit, got to go to prizepicks.com slash gold slash gold. And you're going to use the promo code gold. Okay. Prizepicks.com slash gold and promo code gold. And what they're going to do is, your first deposit all the way up to a hundred bucks, they're going to match it. They'll give you a hundred free bucks. So if you put in a hundred bucks, they'll give you 200 bucks. If you put in 50 bucks, you'll have a hundred bucks. So get up on there. Pricepicks.com slash gold, uh, daily fantasy sports made easy. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On the other hand, on the other hand, in, in contradiction to the 49ers' dominant offensive output, you have a defense that, for the most part, was gashed by the Cardinals. Not through the air, but definitely on the ground. I mean, they were kind of gashed, just period. Wasn't a great day for the defense, but on the ground is where the real problem was. The Cardinals ran the ball 30 times for 234 yards. They averaged 7.8 yards per carry on the ground and scored twice. It was an abysmal day for the 49ers. They could not tackle a soul. But before I keep landing on the defense, defense, I I missed one stat. I guess I can put this in at the end because it's special teams. But Jake Moody did hit a field goal today for the first time in three games from 40. Where is it at? I don't have it on here. Jake Moody hit one field goal. Well, give me the yardage, champs. I mean, I could look. Jake Moody had not made a field goal, had not had to attempt a field goal for the last three games because the 49ers would not stop scoring touchdowns. But he hit a 43-yarder today. It just looks pretty comfortable, and it was like middle right. It didn't look like a bad kick. 
Um, so the 49ers third round rookie is getting more comfortable. All right, back to the defense. I mean, the Cardinals outpossessed the 49ers 34 minutes to 25. Now that gets skewed when you have a pick six. But the Cardinals also outgained the 49ers 436 yards to 408. The Cardinals ran 20, almost 20 more plays than the 49ers, 72 to 54. The Cardinals averaged almost as their average gain was 6.1 yards. 49ers offense was 7.5. Cardinals, 234 yards rushing, 49ers 144. 202 yards passing, the 49ers 262. So as far as the 49ers defense goes, they were giving up yardage in chunks all day long. Now, they did force a couple turnovers. Trevorius Ward had a couple interceptions. We'll talk about that. But the 49ers defense, in, in this weird way, it could be considered a good thing. They got like a wake-up call against the Cardinals because now next week they've got to go up against the Ravens, another team that loves to run the ball, another team with a quarterback that can make anybody on the field miss. And so this was a nice little warm-up game for what they're expecting next week when they go against the, right now, 10-3 and Cardinals. I'm assuming they're going to beat the, I said Cardinals, I meant Ravens. It's just another bird. The bird tour continues. More on that later. Um, I wanted to, I want to just get an update on that game, see where they're at. Let's go to ESPN.com. Why can I not go to ESPN.com? I didn't put the watch in there. Okay. Boop, 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 boop. ESPN.com. Ravens currently leading 10 to 0 uh, in the third quarter. So, interesting matchup against the Jaguars team with the 49ers. Boat raced, but, you know, that's football math. It never goes like that. All right, back to the defense. Um, so, I mean, in every way, shape, or form, the, board, the 49ers defense pretty much got their ass whooped. They just had, you know, Charvarius Ward balled out, did his thing, had a couple interceptions, one of them for a touchdown. Uh, the 49ers defensive front was doing a decent job getting pressure on Kyler Murray. Uh, Nick Bosa had a sack. Javon Kinlaw had a sack. Chase Young and Fred Warner shared one. Uh, but it just did not look like the defense that we're used to seeing. And that is a nod too, which I'm, I'm sure a lot of you guys were waiting for me to say. The fact that Javon, uh, Javon Kinlaw, no, Javon Hargrave, excuse me, both have the same first name. And Eric Armstead were not in there. Two of the best defensive tackles in the NFL. You don't just lose guys like that and things be okay. There, you know, unless you've got some absolutely solid depth, which the 49ers eh, don't really have along the interior of the defensive line. Um, it, it'll look like that. I didn't really expect the 49ers defense to look this bad, but boy, did they look bad. And it all starts with tackling. The 49ers defense could not tackle a soul against the Cardinal. The missed tackle stats are going to be mind-boggling. Fred Warner, obviously, who we normally can count on to really hold it down, had a very rough game. He was giving up passes in coverage. He was giving up passes in the run. He was missing tackles. I, I mean, I don't know what his PFF grade is right now, but it is about to take a massive hit because in almost in pretty much every big play on the ground, Fred Warner missed a tackle. There was two of them, one in the first half, I think, and one in the second half. Uh, one of them was giving up a 49-yard touchdown. Fred Warner just kind of, it was weird. He like went through the wrong gap and kind of tried to come around the offensive lineman and grab the running back, and the running back just kind of scooted right by him and kept going, and nobody else looked prepared to make that play either. The 49ers, I'm not sure what you do this late in the season to work tackling that you haven't already done. 
but there will absolutely be a huge emphasis in tackling this week for the 49ers, undoubtedly so, because it was that bad. I don't care if you're tackling, you know, a little practice dummy onto a big pad, you know, like super old school. Like It doesn't matter, but the 49ers have got to work out their tackling because somebody like Lamar Jackson and the Ravens rushing attack and those playmakers – We'll make them pay a lot worse than the Cardinals, and the Cardinals made them pay. Like, like I said, there was a lot of a lot of yardage on the ground there, but it, it was really quite shocking to see how bad the 49ers defense was in tackling. At one point, Fred Warner was among three defenders that kind of had the, the a, a Cardinal, I can't remember who it was, pinned. It was third and long. And Fred Warner was the inside of the inside defender out of three that were all closing in on the, the, um, the receiver that caught in the flat and Fred Warner. I don't know if he recognized that he was the inside man, but kind of just went straight for the outside shoulder of the, the offensive player kind of taking the other two defenders out of the play. And the offensive player just cut inside, went by all three of them and picked up like, like seven or eight yards on third and like 14, which gave them the yardage they need to hit the field goal. And it was a super long field goal that they likely wouldn't have even attempted had those three 49ers defenders been able to make the play. But if you watch that play real quick, it just looked like Fred Warner had no idea who was with him on the field and kind of the position they were in. You know, he at that point, it was his job to kind of be, I think they call it a spill defender, where like you're forcing the, the, the offensive player to kind of want to spill outside. But and that's okay because you've got two defenders right there whose job is to force him inside. So there's nowhere for him to go. But because Fred Warner just completely took the wrong angle on that play, and hopefully I'm not coming from a place of ignorance. I'm just this is what it looked like, and he just opened up a huge lane for him to come back. In. It was just a really weird game for Fred Warner. It kind of seemed like he still made his his fair share of plays, but it kind of seemed like he was running around with his head chopped off. He had nine total tackles. He had a half a sack. He had a forced fumble. But it was like, you know, where are those tackles taking place? Because they don't seem like they're anywhere near the line of scrimmage. A little weird. Uh, Dre Greenlaw, you know, he had a couple missed tackles, one of which gave them the extra yardage they needed to again attempt a field goal. So a lot of these mistakes were just giving up points in, in a bad way. You know, it was a really weird 49ers defense. But again, this unit takes stuff like that very personally. And you can hear it from Fred Warner after the game basically said like, Winning the division, which we just did, is the standard. But the way this defense played today is not the standard. Um, and he, Nick Bosa said they kind of were prepared for things not to go as smoothly as they typically do, but I don't think anybody was prepared for things to be that bad. The, the tackling really was putrid, horrible. Kind of, em, as a football coach, embarrassing to watch. I would be embarrassed, embarrassed watching that tackling from my middle school team. And that sounds dramatic as hell, but... If you didn't watch the game all the way through, and if you did, you'd know where I'm coming from. And then to top things off, you had Randy Gregory and his infinite wisdom at one point uh, gave Kyler Murray outside contain, had no idea that Kyler Murray had the ball. He just ran straight for the running back, opened up a huge lane. And then uh, on another play later in the game was tangling with an offensive lineman, didn't really realize the play was pretty much over and everybody's kind of walking back to where they need to be. And he just chucks the offensive lineman down into the back of Nick Bosa's legs. Nick Bosa went down, had to be helped off the, not helped off the field, but had to slowly walk off the field, take a couple plays off. It was a frustrating day for the defense. There was 
all sorts of shit. Now, what wasn't frustrating was the play of Charvarius Ward, who, like I said, had two interceptions. He's probably going to get selected all pro, I think. It'll be close. First, second team, doesn't matter. He had a pick six where he just showed off his speed, cut straight up the middle of the offense and ran by everybody. There was another overthrow from Kyler Murray late in the game. Both of them involved Ward being where he needed to be, reading the play, and just putting himself exactly where the throw was going to be. Um, Kyler Murray overthrew a, a player, and it went right into the hands of Charvarius Ward, but he was reading that play. He knew if something was going to go wrong, he needed to be there. Um, uh, Diamador Lenore had a great game, had some pass breakups coming up, making hits. He just seems like he's evolving into a much more confident, chippy uh, a player that's ready to kind of take up a role on this 49ers defense, if you know what I mean. And he just he seems like he belongs. Now, he probably needs to relax a little bit, you know, especially I think he did get fined. Luckily, he wasn't suspended from his role in the fight last week against the Seahawks, came in and just threw a Tiger uppercut right in the middle of a scrum. Um, he's kind of lucky he wasn't suspended just because of how unnecessary it seemed, but maybe there's something I didn't see, but the 49ers defensive backs played well. I think, um, Jair Brown did give up a touchdown, but was on kind of like a scramble play. And it looked like the, the player that caught it, the tight end kind of came up and just pushed off during kind of the scrambleness of it. But that, that was just that first glance, but the, the secondary seemed like they did pretty well. They did pretty well. They kind of, they had a, Kyler Murray threw for 211 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions for a 67 rating. So through the air, he was not doing much. And that bodes well for the 49ers defense. All right, let's get into your takeaways. Can't hang around too long. I mean, we're on a normal podcast pace right now, but I have a a very pregnant wife to get to. and We need to start putting together our hospital bags. Uh, Man, I can't believe it's here. Can't believe it's right around the corner. All right, takeaway time. Let's, uh, Let's start up top with Nick Jensen. Missing our big guys in the middle today. I don't know why I'm starting off like that, like a baseball announcer. Missing our big guys in the middle today. If we don't get them back next week, we may be in trouble. Matt Mayoka said after the game that the 49ers were expecting to get both Eric Armstead and Javon Kinlaw back. I keep saying Kinlaw. Uh, Hargrave back. Uh, we'll see. that he Mayoko obviously very, very, very plugged in. Uh, he seemed very confident that both will be be next be back next week. Excuse me, English. Uh, don't quote me on that, but that he he seemed like that was that was the case. Jeffrey K. Lyles at Lyles Movie Files. Kind of like seeing Warner and the defense look pissed despite the team covering, like a number one seed that doesn't look satisfied. Absolutely, they seem wholly let down by their performance, especially after the game during the press conference. Can't wait to hear this week's reason why Dak should be the MVP. The Cardinals were a bit gamey. Hopefully, Ravens are an easier meal. An easier meal for the 49ers bird tour that continues. That continues. The 49ers bird tour. I mean, we've talked about it. We've emphasized the importance of it. I've told you how how much it meant. The 49ers are officially on their last bird. They have conquered a Seahawk. They have conquered an Eagle. They have conquered another Seahawk. There were two of them. And then they've conquered a Cardinal, and now they are on to their last of five birds in a row in the Ravens. And if they can beat the Ravens, I already think the 49ers are for real. I think Brock Purdy's MVP case is for real. But if they can if they can face the Ravens on a Monday night game and uh, and do something convincing, it's just, man, it's going to shut a lot of people up. And, and maybe it won't because it seems like people always find something to say. But uh, that game against the Ravens is huge. The Ravens right now are 10-3. 
49ers are 11 and three. It looks like the Ravens are probably going to be 11 and three by the end of the night. Let me go back. I don't like how you keep automatically sending me the ESPN though. I guess I could just look at my website. I've already got up here. That's okay. At 10 to six, 10 to six. Did they, did the Jaguars just score? No. Okay. They must've gone. Oh no, they did. Okay. 10 to seven. So Ravens are in a little bit of a bird fight, jungle fight, Ravens versus Jaguars. If that battle were to take place, it would be in a jungle, right? I mean, Ravens are kind of like wherever, where do they reside? But we'll say jungle. Ravens are in a little bit of a jungle fight. Bear fight. Anyways, let's, I'm, I'm completely wandered off track. My bad, Lyle. Um, I do agree. I, I, I thought the Cardinals were going to be game and, and they were game. It wasn't necessarily a close game, but it never really felt like the 49ers could necessarily relax either. Uh, the Ravens are a much better football team than the Cardinals. We'll see how that game goes. Then again, every time we think the 49ers are about to come up against somebody like a Cowboys, like a Jaguars, like an Eagles, they just thump them. So we'll see, which is a, a great habit for the 49ers to get into. And Shar said, for the D, you could see the injuries up the, meal, up the middle really hurt and way too many missed tackles, but pulled through in the big moments. Going to need that extra day of rest. Another outstanding game from MVP game manager Brock Purdy comes back in after that hit to show great composure. He did. He did. He had some. And, and what's going to be funny is all you're going to see talked about by the detractors is Purdy throwing to a wide open Debo Samuel, Purdy throwing to a wide open Christian McCaffrey. They're not going to show the th- the throw to tight end George Kittle right before that one to McCaffrey, um, where he stared a defender in the face and put it on a rope right down the middle of the defense to Kittle, who then took it for big yak. Um, they're not going to throw. They're not going to show the throw to Ayuk. They're not going to show the back shoulder throw to Debo. They're not going to throw that shit. But we know what happened. So just. Get your ammunition ready. Start loading your magazine, all right? Um, Now, the 49ers do get an extra day of rest for Monday Night Football, but so do the Ravens. I mean, if you want to get ticky-tacky, the Ravens are playing at night and therefore will get an afternoon's less rest than the 49ers. But they also do have to sacrifice a little bit of travel time, which is where you can you can justify that extra day. So not wrong, not wrong. Too, too fresh. My family is the biggest joy of my life. Uh, I agree. I agree. Same. Second biggest joy has to be watching Trent Williams block. There was one block. I think it was blocking for Debo Samuel where I don't know if the guy wasn't facing him on purpose or maybe he was trying to get by a receiver, but he did not see Trent Williams coming up behind him and he got absolutely steamrolled. Like it wasn't a block in the back in the sense that you're kind of, it was like the guy was facing the wrong direction. And Trent Williams was like, dude, get the hell out of the way. It would never be called for a block on the back because it wasn't like, he got taken out of the play, kind of more of a blindside fashion. Anyways, seeing him pull and wreck defenders gives me creepy William Defoe gift vibes. That is such a timeless gift. Also, Brock's got to be the MVP. I mean, he's got three games left. One of one of them is against a playoff, you know, a Super Bowl appearance favorite. So he can still, there are still a way for him to spoil his MVP candidacy. But right now he's got to be the favorite. And if he plays well through these last three games, he he can realistically win it, which is crazy. Mac Utterback. That's a fun name to read. Mac Utterback. Mac Utterback. I'm trying to say it like together to see if there's like a human hidden meaning. Mac Utterback. I'm like just thinking about what I'm saying. Anyways, it's awesome. 
Ayuk is a good player, but not special. Uh, I kind of disagree. I think he had a bad game. There were weird moments there, but I think he's pretty special. I think there's a lot of defenders in the league that have tried to cover him that would tell you he's special. Um, now, in your defense, though, there are plays, and he started to make them a little more regularly, but there are plays he, he has to make in order to be considered like that guy. You know, one of those guys, a top five wide receiver. You know, maybe going up and getting that ball, deep ball from Purdy instead of letting it hit in his chest. You know, put your arms up. You don't even have to go up and get it. You could just put your arms up rather than letting it hit your chest. You know, there's things you can do, and there's things he can do as a receiver to, to be more special. Looking at the last two weeks, he could be replaced if he asked too much. Well, maybe not look at the last two weeks. Maybe look at the season he's having. Because a lot of this stuff, I mean, he's been pretty damn good. His drops, misreads, and fumbles are coming during a contract year. Evil and Kittle making him look inferior. Man, I, I don't want to, like, you. Are, everybody has their opinion, but I don't know what you have been watching. He did not have a great game this game, but, I mean, Brandon Ayuk is having a phenomenal season, and he has looked like an absolutely essential element of the 49ers defense. Now, as I say that, was was he an essential element of the 49ers defense today? Mm, no. No, you know what I mean? So there's there's still obviously some stuff to back up your point. But Brandon Ayuk's season has been pretty, pretty amazing. I mean, and you said last two weeks, even though last last week he had six catches for 126 yards. So I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm willing to entertain the idea that maybe I'm overvaluing Ayuk's importance, but uh, I mean, damn, I don't, I'm not quite sure what Ayuk you've been watching. Didn't have his greatest game. That's for sure. But the dude is at like, what, like 12, 1300 yards right now and in, in a very run first offense, you know, where he's not exactly the featured element, but that to me doesn't necessarily give you a reason to kind of undervalue or, or move on from him. Where's he at right now? I just looked it up. 56 catches for 1,053 yards. I think Brandon Ayuk leads the NFL in yards per reception at 18, 18.8 yards per catch. 18. Six touchdowns. He also has no, no rushing touchdowns. So touchdown numbers could be greater, but I mean, that's kind of a product of the, of, of the offense that they're in. I think that his 67.9 success rate, too, is really, really high in the NFL. So, uh, I don't know. I think there might be some undervaluing of, of Brandon Ayuk contributions by Mac Utterback. But it's, 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 it's definitely, you know, there's an argument to be had about it kill, uh, Ayuk's importance in this offense and whether or not they could let him go, considering how many playmakers they have. John David, can people put more respect on Armstead's name? He and Hargrave were sorely missed today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Put all the respect on their names. I don't know why anybody would put any disrespect on their names or, or lack of respect. They're both like Pro Bowl, maybe all pro level D tackles. I think there's a few more D tackles in the league that would probably keep them out of the all pro stuff. But like, yeah, put all the respect on their names. It was very obvious that they were they were sorely missed. Michael McVay, another great win for the offense. The middle of the D-line was vulnerable today without Armstead and Hargrave, but came through when it mattered most. Yeah, they had some red zone stops. They did. 
Uh, just need to clean up the poor tackling that allowed too many extra yards. Can't have that versus the Ravens next week. No, they cannot. The Ravens would be happy to face this 49ers defense that gave up that many rush yards and that many missed tackles. But like I said, maybe it's a good thing in disguise and the 49ers can clean that up and put an emphasis on it before they face the Ravens. Michael Quaglieri, bad tackling and defense needs to be cleaned up, but my God, the offense is just electric and feels almost unstoppable. It does. I mean, you don't want to heap that kind of praise on any unit in the NFL because we've seen every unit get stopped before. I mean, you know, we've seen every unit kind of crash down at certain moments. The 49ers have lost three in a row and, and only scored 17 in those three losses. So we've seen them be vulnerable, but I think you're right in saying sometimes it just feels unstoppable. And a lot of that has to do with Christian McCaffrey. A lot of that has to do with Brock Purdy. A lot of that has to do with Brandon Ayuk. A lot of that has to do with Debo Samuel. A lot of that has to do with George Kittle. A lot of that has to do with Trent Williams. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the names you can just rattle off. Like, they need to be unstoppable. Clinching the West feels great, but that number one seed is calling our names. I agree. I mean, just think with, with the way injuries take a toll throughout a season. I know I said this recently, but having a bye at this point of the year, you know, if the 49ers got that number one seed, they would have a bye in three weeks. Like this late in the season, having a bye like that is invaluable. I can't even properly find the words that would describe how important that would be to a team. Can the 49ers do it without the bye? Absolutely. And it's been done many times, but man, like getting a week's rest. <laughs> As you enter into the playoffs, it's it's more important now than it's ever been because if I'm not mistaken, the number two seed used to get a buy two as, as well, right? So, damn. Uh, that being said, while I'm talking about that, the Dallas Cowboys lost today against the Bills. Bills are, man, Bills look good. If the Bills continue that form, whew. And then if, uh, if the... Eagles lose tomorrow, which they're playing the Seahawks in Seattle. Seahawks are weird. Is Geno Smith going to play? There's some weird talk about uh, Jalen Hurts. Is is he going to play? You know, if but if the Eagles lose, it's massive because that gives the 49ers a one game gap. Meaning, knock on wood, if you want to, they they could drop a game, whether it was to the Rams or to the Ravens, one, and they would still be the number one seed. So some interesting stuff going on in the league around the 49ers, but. Just they're in control of their own destiny. They went out, they get the number one seed. So Graz said, need Eric Armstead and Hargrave healthy against Baltimore. I believe they will be. But hopefully Seattle beats the Eagles so we don't have to worry about it that much. Exactly. See, this is what I'm talking about when I say, like, you and I are, are the people jumping in the takeaways. You're, like, as one mind with me. You know, like, we we think together, especially So Graz, who's a regular he literally his takeaway is literally what I was just talking about. Now I feel like a shitty person for stomping on his takeaway when I could have just let it get there naturally. Sorry, so gross. That's on me. We've reached the point where I'm nervous about injury every play. This is the best team under Shanahan, and I'll be so upset if injuries derail it. You are right to be worried, and it's I'm the 49ers are right there with you. You can tell how quickly they got their starters out after they finally got a little bit of comfort, but. I mean, that's kind of what the 49ers have been, you know, if they've always kind of floated in the years where they've been around the best team or the best team injuries have always found a way to make it seem less than less authentic, especially last year. They're almost there. They're almost there though. All they can do is play their game. 
if they start playing nervous and they start playing hesitant, then then you can you can get injured that way too. Gunner Gunner X Gunnery X Fred Warner with an uncharacteristically bad game. See, we're all on the same page together. Defense or you know we're all watching the same game, see the same shit. Defense needs to work on tackling. Yes, they do, and they will. Uh, Lish says Brock and offense showed out and balled the defense out, bailed the defense out. Yeah, you wrote that. It just looked like two L's. Uh, they did. They did bail the defense out. And again, we read through those numbers. The defense gave up like historically bad numbers for them this season. I don't want to say historically. There were those were probably season highs for like uh, a while, multiple seasons probably. Uh, Tyler Rice, pretty is the MVP, and the Niners are winning out. Can the 49ers go undefeated for the rest of the season? That's kind of a crazy concept to think about. You know, you, you just wonder how those players feel in the locker room right now. You know, you, you know, as as a fan, you know, as media, you know, as and anybody watching this game knows that every game is is just as important as the playoffs themselves now because of the positioning. Um, they're right on the cusp of kind of really doing something special. But you're just wondering, like, do the players know that? I, I, of course they do, you know, but maintaining a, a supreme focus on just the task at hand every week has got to be so difficult at this phase where people start hitting Brock Purdy with MVP questions where people start talking about playoff seating and you know, what, what are the, what's the ceiling for this team? It's got to be so hard to maintain a week by week focus, but it's all they can do. Char Darius Ward is a system cornerback. Charvarius Mooney Ward is a system cornerback <laughs> with a laughing emoji. Uh, yeah, it's the same amount of ridiculousness. I get you. I get your point. Slav Fane. Uh, yeah, that's the amount of people that ran with that. I mean, wasn't it just, was, was it just Cam Newton? You know, see, they see the, I mean, that's been said before, but I feel like Brock Purdy had outgrown the game manager label and now was just fighting for everybody's MVP respect. And then Cam Newton just comes running into the room game manager and you're like man did you even watch the season anyways darchobo heal up armstead and hargrave they will be needed in the playoffs yep they will be i think they're coming back this week um but again that was mac mayoko's words we'll see chris says you ever notice a difference in tackling urgency when the niners are motivated versus particular opponent look like at the cowboys and look at the cowboys and eagles game the niners were on their shit in games where they don't have as much to gain emotionally like this one weird yeah, and they were, I mean, they've said themselves before that they've, you know, during that three-game losing streak that they took their foot off the pedal. And they just can't afford to do that anymore. Every every game is, they're essentially, are, they need to feel like they're already in the playoffs because if they can secure that number one seed, everything changes. And, you know, it, it's just, it's weird. It did look weird. They did look rough. And, and maybe that is, we need to give more credit to the Cardinals and just being tough, stubborn players and making guys miss. But at the same time, when you're a defense that that's good and that's that good playing against a team that's not good, you're expected to make them look not good. And in some ways they did, but defensively they made them look good. I mean, the Cardinals put up 29 points. And I mean, I'll give them a seven-point grace period based on garbage time, but that's more points than the 49ers are used to allowing to a team like that. And the last but certainly not least, we've got Brock's block. No one has it better than us. Shouting out to the uh, the old Harbaugh days. So we'll see. We'll see. 49ers are certainly on the cusp of greatness. They've got a few more regular seasons games left. 
if they button those up, then they've got the number one seed. At most, they'll have two playoff games, and then they will be in the Super Bowl in Las Vegas. Now, again, I'm not a player. I can look ahead all my I want. It's what they're doing that matters. Um, but they're right there. And what's crazy is they're considered kind of like far and away the best team in the NFL. Now, I can't say far and away because if you look at the odds for the Ravens games that are now up, 49ers are favored by about four to six points. They say that you usually the home team, kind of if all things are created equal, they're usually given about three points. And the 49ers just have a little bit more than that. So uh, even the NFL, even Las Vegas, is expecting this to be a close game. Now, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see that number go up a little bit um, because the Ravens are kind of right now in a, in a back and forth with Jacksonville. It's 10 to 7. And the 49ers absolutely decimated Jacksonville. So, and football math doesn't work like that. Two team, every team matches up differently with other teams. Just because the 49ers beat the shit out of Jacksonville does not mean they're going to beat the shit out of the Ravens, who are in a close game with Jacksonville. But, you know, it just doesn't work like that. All right, everybody. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for participating in the takeaways. Thank you for being a huge part of this podcast. Um, I do not know what next week is going to look like again. Uh, if all things go as planned, I will have a son. We will have a son. Me and my wife will have a son, um, sometime Tuesday afternoon. And you know, I, I've, I, I owe you a, a preview episode of the Ravens game and I'm, I'm assuming that's going to happen. I just have no idea what life with a baby is going to be like. I have no idea. Um, given we're planning to have a C-section, just kind of what shape. Katie will be in, uh, you know, I, I should have an episode to you, but I'm just saying I have no idea what my life's going to be like. So don't be shocked if that doesn't happen, but expect, it. and you know, say, if, if you are religious, say a little prayer for us and, uh, and hope that everything goes safe for myself and my wife and our, our baby on the way. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to Striking Gold. Thank you for being here. If you feel like going the extra mile, you can jump on whatever app you're listening to and leave us a five-star review. Uh, you can leave a comment too if you if you want me to read something, if you, if you feel like I need to read it. Um, and make sure you're following me on Twitter at Rob underscore Louder, L-W-D-E-R. I mean, I tweet a lot during the games. In between that, not so much. But hey, thanks for coming around. And again, be a part of the take uh com slash gold promo code gold appreciate you guys for another episode i'm rob this is striking gold and we're signing everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off.
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.